Hello and welcome to another episode of Pakistanabi. My name is Zaire Yunus and I have the pleasure of hosting uh, Naveed Guraya Saab, who's Chief Investment Officer of Karandas Capital. Um, many of you are familiar with Karandas, but we'll jump into what the mission and vision is so that we're all on the same page in this episode before we dive deeper into what some of the key priorities of the organization are. Uh, Naveed Guraya Saab has over 25 years of experience in asset management, before he joined Karandaz as the chief investment officer, he was leading a strategic advisory firm, White Oak Advisor. Some of you may have also heard of it if you're interested in finance. It was serving private equity funds, family offices, banks, and insurance companies uh, in support of global investments. So Naveed Saab understands a lot of the financial challenges uh, in Pakistan and has been guiding uh, Karandaz's own investments across the board uh, to help solve for some of these challenges. So we'll, in particular, uh, something that is, you know, personal interest to me, and you've heard me on this podcast talk about it, is access to small businesses in terms of capital. Um, how do we promote entrepreneurship of women? Uh, these are all areas that Karandas is also uh, taking a lead in and working with uh, public and private stakeholders uh, to go there. And I think this was a Good conversation to have because we're in election season and in post-elections, the economy uh, will continue to dominate uh, priorities. And I think both Naveed and I will agree, and many of you have heard me say this, um, that you cannot have sustainable growth in an economy that doesn't provide access to capital for small businesses and doesn't provide access to capital for women entrepreneurs and you know supports their growth in the economy. So we'll jump into that. But Naveed Saab, thank you so much once again for taking out the time and, and joining us here. Maybe give us a quick 101. You you know, people are kind of on this podcast familiar with Karandas, but to set the stage, what is Karandas all about? What have you guys been up to? And, and what's the mission of this organization? Uzair, thank you so much for uh, having me here, first of all. I think it's a pleasure once again to uh, be here with you. I always enjoy our conversations. So, uh, you're right. I think uh, Karandas, I think, is slightly more known than when we spoke last time, but it's always worth it to speak a bit more about it. It's a very unique organization. I think it's a very unique setup. It's established in a very uh, particular, unique manner. And it's the only impact fund uh, that has the size and scale uh, that we have in the country. So from that perspective, it has been impactful. But um, the vision that we have uh, is that uh, we'd like to see a financially included, economically empowered Pakistanis. And the way to get to that mammoth task, which is to ensure financial inclusion of the masses and the enterprises, is to break it up into pieces. Now, um, the there are approximately 4.3 million SMEs the interesting thing is there is no still official, official census available to understand how many enterprises exist. But the estimated number based on various mechanisms like the estimation of electrical connections and also uh, rating uh, GDP growth over the last uh, numbers available, we think there are about 4.5, 4.3 million SMEs. So what is the scale of the problem? Let me address that. There are only 165,000 SMEs out of the 4.3 million that currently have access to the commercial banking sector. And that ratio uh, becomes even worse when we look at the actual amount of outstanding, and I'll get to it. So Karandas has taken on this mammoth task of ensuring 
uh, that there is some movement towards uh, uh, the financial inclusion of micro, small, and medium enterprises, and also towards the digital financial inclusion of Pakistanis. Um, there are four particular work streams within Garandas. Uh, the first one is the investment activity uh, that uh, I look after, through which we make various interventions. We'll speak a bit more about it. We have a digital financial services team that is funded by the Gates Foundation. And of course, uh, there is a women ventures and innovation team that looks after developing that area. And uh, finally, we have a research function as well that is critical to the um, development of, uh, of information and databases uh, that are being used aggressively by the market. So when you look at these four all together, they're almost like four different companies sitting under one umbrella. Now, uh, the what have we achieved to date? Karanda's reason I say it's significant is because we have uh, funded about 3,000 SMEs, unique SMEs. And you put it in context, about 169,000, 65,000 total SMEs funded. 3,000 have been those in which we have been involved. Uh, we've been able to generate around a million plus support, about a million plus jobs via microfinance and our uh, SME finance functions. And uh, if you just look at these two metrics, uh, we've been able to achieve that through a core equity or capital of uh, 23 billion rupees only. So there is that availability of capital. There is that ability that is there in the market. And Karandas is going to is trying to tap that through various work streams. One of the major work streams that uh, I look after is the investments arm. Uh, investment arm is uh, funded by the Foreign Commonwealth Development Office, FCDO in short. Uh, we do four things. We've been providing debt lending to SMEs, about 3,000 of them, in partnership with leading banks. So we partner and we give them some risk capital to do interesting products to these SMEs. Secondly, we do private equity activity to SMEs. We give them direct financing. And there's some very interesting areas like uh, hemodialysis product manufacturer of Pakistan could not raise funding. We're providing that to them. There's an agri-processing company that is now an exporter of rice to other countries. And uh, likewise, there are others in technology as well that are software export entities, all in the SME category. And then the third activity, uh, which is uh, uh, quite significant, is our um, green financing, in which we are looking at uh, adding additional green assets and uh, energy efficiency, sustainable energy as a major component. We are proud that we have uh, the oldest, uh, longest serving, uh, dedicated green financing team in the country in the impact fund world. But most importantly, the function is to set up new financial institutions. These financial institutions are missing in the infrastructure of Pakistan. So the most, the best way to make an impact for us is setting up those institutions and letting them go and uh, create this impact. So we have a uh, the only uh, microfinance wholesale lending institution called Pakistan Microfinance Investment Company. We have partnered with KFW and Pakistan Poverty Alleviation Fund for it, with it. Uh, it is the only wholesale fund that is the majority lender for most of the uh, microfinance institutions under it. The second institution we have set up is a 
credit guarantee company for infrastructure called uh, Infrasamin. This is in partnership with the uh, Garantco and private infrastructure development group. Uh, this will guarantee or is guaranteeing long-term credit for in infrastructure institutions that then generate jobs because long-term lending to infrastructure is not available in this market. The third institution that we have set up is a dedicated SME finance institution called Parvas Financial Services based in Lahore. Uh, we funded it with 3 billion rupees and it's have uh, you 100% of that, uh, that entity. Uh, the entity is uh, progressing fine. It has added digital products to it and is innovating. And most importantly, the recent entity we have set up is an SME guarantee company called National Credit Guarantee Company Limited, NGCL, in partnership with the Ministry of Finance. So uh, sorry for this very long-winded response, but to say that big scope, we are trying to do the best we can, and we have achieved, uh, we have we have intervened in a number of work streams that we think are very critical to the financial inclusion of these uh, gaps. No, th thanks for giving that overview, right? Because again, I think the way I see Karandas in sort of a layman way is you guys are building the plumbing that enables the economy to grow. I think without those institutions, without those interventions, without getting into the nuts and bolts of how uh, capital is allocated in an economy, particularly down to the you know, micro level at the SME level, um, you're right, we, we, can't, we can't grow. And there are linkages, right? The infrasamine point that you made immediately made me think about the fact that wouldn't it be wonderful, for example, post-elections for a new government to do two things, right? One, take access to uh, pub, uh, public and private access for infrastructure to the next level from the learnings that you yeah. all have, but also to do pension reform, because that's the long-term sort of ability to finance infrastructure around the world comes from fully funded pension funds. And if we're not, the government is not investing and reforming the pension side of the equation, which is a big issue from a budgetary point of view, we yeah. have a mismatch there in terms of the tenure of, of funding that is available. So that's a thought. But I want to go to the SME side, right? I think this is, again, <clears throat> one of those things that you may have seen this uh, this uh, evening. I just saw it when I woke up here in D.C. <clears throat> President Macron of France is in New Delhi. Uh, the viral video uh, on social media right now is Narendra Modi and Macron having a cup of chai in a little SME store. Um, and then President Macron pays that uh, that business owner uh, for the cup of tea using UPI with the QR code. And again, something that Karandaz is familiar with, with the Rast work and everything that you've done. Um, that yeah. to me is like, you know, a, a flashpoint, right? People connect with that when they see a QR code and a president of France using digital payments in India to a Jaiwala. Um, what are the barriers right now in Pakistan to make that a reality, right? For me or somebody else in Pakistan to go and be in, let's say, a Larkana or a Sakhar or a Dadu or a Hub and buy a tiki pack of gluco biscuits and a cup of chai and say, I don't need cash here, it's direct because you have a bank account, you're financially included. Um, what? Why aren't we there yet? And, and what can be done to solve for that? Very nicely put. Uh, absolutely right. There are two areas that are missing at now. The infrastructure in the financial institutions, rather the missing financial institutions, they are getting there. 
I think at least from an experimental and from initial standpoint, the building blocks are finding their way. The, the four entity I spoke of, a lot of fintechs that are coming in, fill this space. Rast is a game changer. So these institutional pieces are probably going to be there. So what's the second or the missing link? Well, very simply, it's the will. Now it is education of the users, but also at the financial institutions, the operating level, it is the will of those institutions to then accept and adopt these instruments and take the risk that needs to be taken. Um, <clears throat> the barrier, most importantly, is unfortunately the government itself, in a way, which is the crowding out that happens. And the crowding out happens uh, uh, in our environment due to uh, you know the funding gaps. So when you're borrowing from the market, not borrowing from the market, borrowing from the banks and not from the market, then essentially this is what happens. At this point in time, uh, we were doing an analysis, I think about, uh, the data was about a year and a half old, but 70% of DFI assets were sitting in treasuries. Now in a country where DFIs are very limited anyway, when you've got such an amount sitting in treasuries and at the current interest rates, financial institutions, banks themselves putting in treasuries, uh, I think there is a, a bit of a problem at both ends. The borrower who wants financial inclusion has that legitimate problem, I guess, of uh, meeting the gap in financing. So the tax revenue needs to come in. And the lender on this side finds it easier to put in on a zero risk rated asset and provide that. So that is one area. <clears throat> so the disintermediation of these banks is important. <clears throat> the second area for us really is um, the uh, operating complexity at these financial institutions, that how do they go in and uh, start um, uh, improving their processes to lower the turnaround times, also reduce the capital uh, uh, you know, requirements and the collateral requirements that they have, which SMEs do not have. So these are the second elements at the financial institution level. And I think regulator has a bit of a role to play there as well. Uh, and on a happy note, the fintechs that are coming up have kind of are, are working, already having an impact in doing these things. Um, and from a payments perspective, you're absolutely right. Uh, the QR code and payment systems do exist here, but the RAST introduction reduces the transaction cost. And reduction of that transaction cost is what is going to drive uh, the government, pay the, the, the individual to government. Now it is the P2M, the merchant to person uh, level implementation that is underway. As soon as that gate gains the track and get, gets traction, I think you will see a fairly significant, again, push because of the availability of, uh, um, of the technology being available in the country. So the game changer or what you might call is the uh, current, uh, uh, you know, uh, the missing gap that has stepped in uh, to have a disruptor effect is the fintechs. And those fintechs are filling the gap. Uh, invoice discounting being one. And uh, of course, uh, there are these uh, 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 other, uh, uh, you know, uh, invoice uh, certification uh, uh, fintechs um, and the like.
Yeah, I think the the private sector role, right, is uh, is is a very important thing that you mentioned because I was having a conversation a few days ago with somebody in Islamabad, and they were asking, right, ke rast hamare paas bhi hai, you know, but it's uptake nahi hai, QR code nahi aara, what's the what's the barrier here, right? And I, I, you know, to to go echo what you just said, I was like, there's two things that need to happen. A, the regulator sort of needs to intervene a bit in terms of, for example. Do we open zero balance bank accounts for anybody with an Adra card? Like zero cost, low cost access to banking services is on the on the consumer side important. But more importantly, in, in places like India or Kenya or other places that are known as success stories, even Brazil, the banks didn't want to get into this, but it was fintechs that then put feet on the street and had the funding yeah. sources and the growth appetite <laughs> to sort of say, look, there's a there's a part of gold here. And if we then put feet on the street and be very aggressive with onboarding this unaddressed, untapped market, we can grow exponentially. And that, again, links to perhaps to some level creating that space for innovation, providing that capital to upstarts, uh, but also having a, a policy orientation that is more uh, biased towards entrepreneurship and innovation as opposed to just doing business the same old way, which is which is a, a policy intervention in and of itself as well. But there is one thing that's come up, and you mentioned this. Uh, Karandaz is sort of looking at the National Credit Guarantee Limited Company and and sort of what it it can do. And there was an announcement around that as well. Um, help us understand what the role of that company and and that intervention is going to be in the big picture lens of where we are right now and the need for SMEs. Like, what's the what's the ambition there? That's a game changer. Uh, NCGCL, the National Credit Guarantee Company Limited, uh, we have a partnership with the Ministry of Finance in it. Karandaz uh, <clears throat> uh, is 56% of the company, and uh, it will start operations shortly. It's in the pro final processes of uh, being put together, but it's been launched. The uh, game-changer aspect of it is that uh, we spoke of the hurdles, which is the lack of capital, the small number of entities, SMEs that are financed, and the rationale behind it is that the banks don't want to take the risk. So they don't want to take the risks because, not because the risk is bad, they get compensated for it, but it is because there are other uses of capital available. NCGCL is going to de-risk those assets for the banks, for the financial institutions, including the banks and the non-bank financial institutions. It's a credit guarantee. The credit guarantee product will underwrite the um, uh, the risk of uh, default uh, on loans to the SMEs that are originated through these financial institutions. Various ways of doing it, there'll be a number of products that we will develop under NCGCL. Uh, probably one of the first ones will be that we will take portfolios of banks or create portfolios of SME loans with the banks. And these portfolios based on certain underwriting criteria will be guaranteed by NCGCL. NCGCL's guarantee is important because it will be a AAA rated entity. So obviously there'll be a guarantee fee paid, but the bank will see the entire portfolio wrapped as a AAA guarantee product. As a result, if you de-risk that of a bank's balance sheet, then the bank has freed up capital to do another tranche. Then I can do another. So it's a multiplier effect that will come in by doing this. At a later stage, perhaps capital market instruments can be made 
to lay off the risk in the market. But for the moment, keeping ambition uh, realistic at this stage, that's the first product that seems to be relevant for the market. There'll be more products and the team that is hired will design those. But uh, uh, NCGCL will be a plug and play platform. Uh, what I mean by that is it not only creates its own specialized product and specialized portfolios in partnership with lenders, but it will also be a platform for multilateral institutions like IFC, ADB, World Bank, and others who are interested in providing such a credit guarantee facility, but need an operating platform with those skill set to manage it for them. Now, the model of this exists in the world. In Turkey, there is a similar guarantee company, and that is uh, a, that also offers itself as a platform to international to DFIs, and they use it. Plus, they have their own leveraged products. Uh, there is one in Thailand. There is one in uh, Malaysia. There is one in uh, Egypt. When you look at all of these examples, there are templates in the world, and we know what has worked, and we know what were the challenges faced and what did not work. So trying to learn from all of them, but clearly this company has the ability to underwrite about up to a capacity of up to 50 billion rupees of credit guarantees. And let me remind you right now, the total SME loans outstanding are 483 billion in the country. So there is that ability of creating a leveraged uh, uh, you know, impact of increasing financing to SMEs. This being the first company, we hope that in the longer period, it will give an example, serve as an example to private sector to come in as well um, and set up additional such guarantee companies. Yeah, that's fascinating, right? And again, I think the de-risking part and then freeing up the lender's ability on the balance sheet to go further down, um, that that I think is exciting and, and the growth there. I mean, to me at a at sort of like a, a long-term level, right? What you said stuck out is, you should you want to have a mechanism to take that to market then as well because again that has its own value but we're not there yet but it's good that the ambition is there the the roadmap is clear in terms of what it could transform into which is amazing right um i want to yeah. switch to the the sort of uh, side of like women and financing for women because again it's an area that uh, you look at the data pakistan is far far behind even among tier economies both in terms of workforce participation, entrepreneurship, access to opportunities for women, banking access. Garandaz has put out amazing research on all these topics, highlighting the gap. Uh, but you're doing a lot of work on, on sort of the interventions again as well. So help the viewer understand where you are in terms of your focus on women and financing for women and what the, the order sort of like of magnitude challenge here is. Because again, if half my view is very simple, if half of your population is largely disconnected from the financial ecosystem, you can't grow. Simple as that. But, you know, would love your take on what you're trying to do there. Yeah, I think you've hit a, a very, very important uh, is absolutely crucial. Uh, as far as the current share of borrowing, it is negligible in the financial sector. Um, we feel or we found that empowerment through uh, a the knowledge or uh, capacity building at the uh, women-owned businesses side that is one factor that helps them become bankable and we found that literacy at that level is something that we've attempted 
but there's a lot more need for it so that they can organize their companies. We've helped some companies become private limited entities from simple entrepreneurships. We've also helped them by hiring consultants to build how to build a business plan and how to take the business forward in terms of uh, growth plans uh, and presenting themselves in front of financial institutions as entities that are uh, significant and uh, can borrow. Now, that's not the only one side that there are only those companies that cannot borrow and small. There are also those businesses that are that may be bankable, but uh, do not approach banks because they feel that, uh, you know, it's the reluctance on their part and the bank's part as well, that they will be accepted as good credit risks. Having said that, globally, women are better credit risks than men and they're better at, uh, you know, custodians of capital as well. So there is this issue once again of the supply of capital being reluctant to uh, lend when there are such so many other options available to lend and also at the borrower side there's that capacity issue as well where we've got uh, uh, we need to do some work um, at the sme level which is the larger companies um, i'll tell you frankly we want to we have a positive bias towards giving funding either equity or capital towards uh, um, cap towards women-owned businesses, the percentage that have come to us are also very small. And <clears throat> whether it's a cause and effect relationship because small businesses never migrated to becoming an SME and hence we don't see enough, maybe that's what the issue is, that one has to start at the other end of the whole chain and then intervene there and then graduate them over a period of time to larger SMEs. I do correct myself. I think at the microfinance level, there are those individuals. They're really, really small. You have to graduate those upward. So uh, there is a lot of work to do. Um, we are building partnerships with international, uh, uh, you know, global DFIs, and uh, those global DFIs share our um, uh, vision of, uh, you know, intervening in this particular area. Um, we have uh, provided we provide for businesses that we select through a rigorous process um, that will serve as an example. We provide them either industry facilities, discounted facilities, or even uh, where we think that the business can stand its own feet, commercially priced facilities, so that they can learn on, uh, they can actually take a step into the financing world and become financially included. Uh, it's a bit, uh, a few early days. I think we will need to see how this progresses, but we are seeing positive results. We find very innovative business coming from there. And we also see that once you bring them in the fold at the smaller business level, their graduation is actually quite fast. So let's see how it goes. Uh, there is a lot of activity. Um, we want to do an ecosystem network uh, support as well by fostering networks where these businesses can uh, you know, have an osmosis effect and learn from each other. So there's a lot of education, capacity building, and funding, empowerment, and partnership with DFIs. We're building all these four blocks and trying to make one solution available for uh, women financing and women ventures. Yeah, your point on, on sort of graduating from micro, right, and then taking them up the chain is a very important one, just in terms of from my mindset, right, is that, hey, look, you have, let's say, in a community or in a region, 100 micro enterprises run by women that are high potential and perhaps you get to a place where 10% of them graduate 
that ecosystem then should be those 10 should be the mentors for the remaining 90 and those 90 should then sort of see them as the potential of being realized right and that that is the funnel that we kind of need to get to in the broader context to have that snowball effect of saying hey look it is possible to graduate here's how you do it people have done it you can learn from them they're your peers and your yeah. colleagues and and so on and on it goes and i think that's the big gap in sort of um, as you identified it in terms of the demand supply mismatch that happens often is they're not graduating, uh, not enough are graduating up the up the chain. Um, I want to pivot to my last question to you, uh, Navid Saab, is elections, we're recording this on the 26th, maybe like a couple of weeks away, a lot of conversation on the economy, um, a lot of conversation around creating jobs, sustainable growth, so lots and lots of things on the agenda. Uh, but I want to get your view on, given your vantage point on access to credit, inclusion, and the inclusion agenda writ large, particularly for women and small enterprises, yeah. what would you like to see come out after the elections from a new finance minister or a new government in terms of signals, let's say in the next three to six months or an agenda for the remainder of 2024 that would make you perk up and say, you know what, this time actually is different. There's 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 more appetite to shake things up a bit and achieve the goals that Don will look forward to. Uzair, um, first let me start by saying very proud of uh, the work that the current, uh, you know, caretaker finance minister has undertaken and uh, also the improvement overall in the various indicators uh, that we needed to see. Uh, economy loves to see, businessmen love to see stability and continuity and all the other things. If I may so, interrupt you there, I'll give you an example because I was laughing over it last week. Um, I was speaking to somebody and they were like, hey, IMF kab ho gaya? Naya program bhi And I was like, this is the indicator that is a testament to the success of the finance minister that, you know, a country obsessed with the IMF tranche, the same people now are like, wait, wait a minute. Ye ho, hua kab? And I was like, Jab ye, when these things are done quietly, it's uh, it's an indicator that the finance minister is doing a very good job. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because uh, the, uh, the government has a big role to play. I mean, whoever the new government comes in, we hope that we, we are quite sure there'll be a lot of stability and uh, positive things. Uh, a, it is the role of improving its own fiscal position so that uh, through tax collection and other measures so that the pressure on the banks and the crowding out effect, uh, you know, it kind of uh, uh, goes away. I wouldn't say it goes away, but lessens so that the banks have more incentive to lend not only to good credit corporates, but also to SMEs. So that's the first uh, thing. Uh, the second is slightly out of control, which is that once the indicators improve further and the inflation goes down, so the interest rates start coming down so that the banks can also, but that's not in the control of government. That's more of inflationary, deflationary measures that will need to be taken to, to resolve that. Uh, the second area, so that was the first one. Uh, the second area is that there are, you know, some interventions that in every economy uh, governments have to take. Yes, there are, uh, we need to leave them to market forces, but those interventions need to be very directed and very focused. So very directed intervention that the government is doing right now is under a SAF program, which is SAF stands for SME Asan Finance Scheme. 
under this scheme, the government is uh, providing rather a, a guarantee of somewhere around 60. It's a scale up 30, 40, 60, I think. That's up to 60% of loans to SMEs given to banks under 10 million rupees. So it's a very targeted one for small SMEs who want to borrow and they're encouraging the banks to provide financing against it. The sad thing is that uh, uh, banks should have done it without the guarantee, but we're certainly seeing an uptick in term of, terms of number of SMEs in the last quarter. Over the last seven years, the number of SMEs funded have shrunk by 1%, number of SMEs, since 2017. And uh, in the last quarter, certainly we've seen an up uptick because banks have taken up to this product. Now, hopefully, when this scheme is withdrawn or it ends, it sunsets, then by that time, banks would have built a credit history with those new SMEs that they have onboarded and will continue the journey with them. So that's an example of a very specific directed scheme that's ongoing right now and we're seeing as having an impact. And uh, at present, it looks like it's giving a subsidy to the sector, but it is a very directed one. And I hope that it is going to continue and have a longer term impact. Yeah, I think, uh, and again, if I were to connect the two points you made, right? So there's a very targeted time-bound intervention to build that confidence, great. And then if you combine it to your first macro point, right? Which is if the sovereign gets its fiscal house in order, by the time that town time-bound intervention is over and has built that confidence, the banking sector also doesn't have the fallback option of lending to the sovereign easily and making a nice chunk of change on the capital that is risk-free. And then you mm -hmm. sort of have the market take over, right? In terms of saying the old way of getting access to uh, good returns by lending to the sovereign and that crowding mm -hmm. out effect has been taken care of or not fully, if even if not fully to a large degree to then free up capital and force this private sector to go in and say, you know what, find other streams of borrowing that, that you want to lend to because the sovereign has its fiscal house in order. I think those two are very deeply connected and I hope that that trend continues. I think... The challenge for Pakistan has been that with every cycle of uh, sort of instability and austerity that leads to then some stability, as we're seeing now, um, you know, goes back to the bad habits of the past. And one hopes that the new finance minister is sort of understands that we can't keep repeating that same mistake. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if you wanted to add anything to that, but... Yeah. Uh, I'd like to add to it, which is said that uh, there is, uh, we just we were just speaking of NCGCL a few minutes ago. NCGCL, uh, you know, has just unlimited amount of potential to uh, drive, uh, to drive a change. But remember, there's another thing that has helped uh, Pakistan, which is, again, what Karandas contributed to, which is setting up of first of their kind institutions that did not exist. Uh, with KFW, with PIDGE, with Garantco, international, uh, global DFIs. But we've also done one now with the Ministry of Finance, which is NCGCL. And there, again, it's a very positive role that uh, the government is playing at this time by encouraging it, but also partnering with private sector entities like ours. And that additional more entities like that with other partners would also be great for the country. If they can do that, uh, you know, as you said, pension fund reform. So if there is something they can do in that space with a partner, sure, why not? I think that's something great to have. And uh, I think uh, that kind of uh, infrastructure building 
would be better than, I think if, in the longer run, better than giving additional uh, subsidized programs. And uh, lastly, there is this issue of exports. Um, until we resolve our, uh, you know, either have a robust import substitution program or have sustainable export um, related programs, it's going to be challenging. Uh, we think that there is potential in the agriculture space. There is activity that's going on, but that needs to be encouraged and more import substitution. These things started happening suddenly when there was a crisis in foreign exchange. We saw people walking up to us to partner to find replacement to palm oil imports. Suddenly we were seeing rapeseed oil, um, uh, you know, rapeseed uh, plantations being set up. So that has to continue. The bad habits, as you said, should not set in again. Easier to import than do something. So let's see if the government yeah. has a play there. Well, I think the the import point, right? I think uh, what I often try to argue with policymakers is that uh, the best import substitution strategy is to stick to a market determined exchange rate because it will do what you just said, right? When the exchange rate comes down, the country is scarce. The price of the dollar has shot up. Palm oil all of a sudden becomes expensive, which then means you got to find an alternative domestically. And it's it's feasible all of a sudden for a domestic actor to sort of say, hey, look, I can actually produce it 10% lower than what the palm oil import would cost you. Um, yeah. But if you go back to the whole, I'm going to fix the exchange rate because it somehow is good for inflation, you're going to undermine your own import substitution potential because it's just going to subsidize imports in the in the medium to long term. So I hope they stick to that. Uh, and again, I think, as you uh, correctly mentioned earlier, um, the cut in interest rates is important as inflation comes down. But that should let, you know, let the central bank be the driver of that choice and let them do their thing and and, and move forward with that as well. So again, before yeah. I let you go, you know, this question is always my last question. Uh, what are a couple of books you would recommend to the audience? You know, this is the most stressful part of, of speaking with you, Zed. <laughs> so I have to come up with two interesting ones. So there is a recent one. Actually, it's a book that I reread. Let's put it this way. Um, James Carville, you know, uh, Clinton's uh, political advisor once. is um, an interesting fellow. Um, he wrote a book some time ago called, uh, I don't know how politically correct I can say it, so I'll not say one word out of it. But buck up, dash up come back when you foul up, okay? And it's a very humorous book in which he recounts various instances of politicians messing up and how they recovered and also general life matters, but more importantly, the Clinton, um, you know, famous uh, uh, incident that happened and he was uh, engaged in uh, resolving that. So his premise of that book is, very relevant perhaps to us right now, that if politicians mess up being in public eye all the time, then they have ability and tools to cover them. And those are the tested ones time after time. Step up, own up, go and resolve it and show that you have made amends and you are changing. And those are very interesting toolbooks, tools because these are people who are out there in the public. And they have to be very careful all the time. So us in business, we have the ability to, we mess up as well all the time. The tools to handle those are the same, but they are so much easier for us to do in our business world. Um, we can mess up a lot, 
and uh, we're not in the public eye generally, hopefully. And uh, we therefore have a bigger platform to go and play in and uh, and uh, resolve using the same uh, you know uh, steps, I would say. Uh, so I don't know how I came up with this, but uh, it's just reminding me of something that I found it very interesting. And there's an election cycle going on in the U.S. as well. So I see James Carver oh, yeah. all the time on the screen. So yeah. I need to talk to him. I need to see that uh, you know book again. Uh, I'll add that one to my list. And 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 you reminded me um, of some some of the work that I do is related to um, crisis management with uh, global yeah. companies and in emerging markets in particular. And that's always our rule of thumb to them is like, look, you messed up. You're in the headlines. Somebody's covering you or calling you out on something. If you know you messed up, the best strategy, the best crisis communication strategy is to go out there and say, we messed up. We're sorry. Here's what we're going to do to resolve this. And here's how we're going to make yeah. amends, right? The Absolutely. more you try to hide it, the yeah. worse it will get because the media is going to find everything you're messing up and trying <laughs> to hide. And that's going to get worse. So it is exactly yeah, I agree a political strategy. I fully, and I think internally as well, right? In organizations, let's be honest, products fail, strategies fail. You take into account certain assumptions that don't pan out. And at that point in time, rather than hiding it, the best thing is, hey, guys, I messed up. Here's the solution. Here's how we move forward. That's the best path forward. Yeah. So, yeah, it applies across the board, I would say. It does, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, Noeetsab, thank you so much for taking out the time. Always a pleasure talking to you. Karandas is doing awesome, awesome work. So keep that up. And, you know, hopefully we have more stability after the elections and more momentum on some of the things we've identified. And you'll have a you and your organization will have a big role to play on that. So keep it up and maybe we'll have you on in a few months to see what's new on that side. Thank it's you me. so much. It was very lovely to speak with you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Appreciate it.